Look at the adjective. Play. Now is the franchise going to take the Viagra? Oh, going to put the butts in the seat. Hello there, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode number 49 of Because WCW. My name is the Twisted Genius, Dean Ayers, joined as ever by my esteemed colleague, the sports journalist, Liam Happ. Hello, Liam. How are you doing today? I'm not doing great because, as it turns out, Dean, I'm a bit of an idiot. Ten minutes before I jump on for this recording of our latest episode, I decide to eat a pepperoni pizza with a shitload of Tabasco on it. My mouth, especially the roof of my mouth, is dancing. And it still hasn't subsided. Uh, So I'm going to try and fight through this, but... You know what? The pizza was fucking worth it. I I had a similar experience today because do you what? Do you remember we went to Borough Market on the the day the day the down day that we had during the uh, two nights of Wrestle Kingdom? Romantic Borough Market date, yes. Indeed, and I bought some. Uh, I bought a chickpea and lentil dal pre-mixed spice mix. And I use that for the first time today. And I'm, I, I love Indian food, but I'm not good with it being very hot. And fuck me sideways, this was rather a lot hotter than I was expecting. So, um, so yeah, I think we're both going to have interesting trips to the toilet tomorrow. But more importantly, how was Prince Harry's tea? Ah, yes, Prince Harry. There was, there was a, 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 a tea blend that had been recommended by Prince Harry. I don't think that I actually chose that one in the end, did I? I'm not sure, but the one the one that I did choose where the, the man at the stall had told me, don't go for the one you've chosen, go for this one. It's a bit disappointing. I should have just stuck with my original choice, but there you go. Ooh, anyway, yes. So, we are, we are in pay-per-view review territory today. We are looking at Starcade 91, the, le- the first ever Lethal Lottery and Battle Bowl. And we are with a very special guest, a man who I have known for many, many years. Uh, to me, he is known, and to his friends, because I'm, I'm obviously, I'm, I'm not a friend, I'm, a, I'm an acquaintance that he puts up with. Uh, he is known as Berry. Sam Gardner is his real name. You may know him from the wrestling world as Exodus, or Voodoo, or Santeria, or uh, Blockbuster. Barry, welcome to Because WCW. All right. Hello. Hello there. How are you doing? Not too bad. Yeah, if anything, you're a friend of my wife more than anything. This is true. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Did I miss out any gimmicks there? Uh... Mr. Puppet, I guess. Oh, yes, Mr. <laughs> Puppet in I- IPW. Who... I tagged with Vince Russo. And the precursor to me taking the best bump of my career against Jimmy Havoc, yeah. Was I? I, I, was, no, I was at the show. I don't even think I was at that show. No, you were. You were in the ring. Uh, you were the distraction. You were uh, in the ring telling me that Jimmy Havoc wanted to speak to me, and you directed my attention to the entranceway, which allowed Jimmy to run in from the back of the venue and attack me. Oh, yeah. No, I was thinking of the uh, 
where uh, it was Jimmy threw the crutch at you and hit you in the yes. face. <laughs> that was a different one. That was a different. Yeah. Uh, that was a different time sure. of getting abuse from Jimmy at Tunbridge. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So how did you, how did you get started wrestling? Uh, oh, uh, started watching '91, same as a lot of people in the UK. Uh, started off even before watching. It was the uh, blue bordered uh, collecting cards. We oh, all got yes. them and traded them around at school. Then started watching just before SummerSlam '91. Uh, and then soon after that, found WCW in the middle of the night. I think my uncle recommended it to me, in fact. So I started watching that middle of August. And yeah, started watching ever since. And then, uh, must have been year 2000, me and my friend went along training at Hammerlock. Uh, and then he didn't like it. And so, uh, and at the time I couldn't drive, so I didn't go back for two years. And then one Sunday, just thought, oh, I can drive now. I'm not working Sundays. I'll start going training again. And uh, basically been doing it ever since. Marvellous. So, yes, we we both were at Hammerlock at different times. Yeah. But it wasn't until several years after after that that we, we met for the first time. I think it was an HEW show. In the, the, the very first HEW show, 12th of March, 2005. I looked it up. In front in front of, I think it was 28 people. Something like that, yeah. Every, so, yeah so, um, With a 30-man rumble, was it? Was it full 30-man? I don't know if it was more people. Yeah, more people in the Rumble. I remember you in the queue to uh, go out for the Rumble, yes. Yes, and you were like, oh, you've got a good look. And I put my mask on, and you were like, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't remember that bit. I remember you yeah, in uh, the uh, in the multicoloured pleather gear. Yes, uh, head to toe in pleather. That and, was... and, and that's where the nickname Berry came from, wasn't it? Uh, no, it was before that. My oh. original blockbuster gear was red and purple. And the first time I put it on at training, and I was like, oh, I just look like a berry. And, uh, yeah, it stuck. John Ryan ran with that over the years. And, yeah, that's what my wife calls me now. That's what most people <laughs> in wrestling call me. So, yeah, I am berry. Cool. And who, who would you say has been your most, uh, your most high-profile opponent? Or what's been, what's been your most high-profile match of your career? Uh, I don't know, I wrestled Eugene once for IPW as Blockbuster. Uh, a couple of years ago, wrestled Nasty Boys in Germany. Nice. It was interesting. Didn't go to plan at all, but yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see, if you want to go with stupid facts, uh, like, you know, real fact, I was Zack Sabre Jr.'s first ever match. Uh, uh. Stupid facts, I like to say I helped train uh, Wade Barrett, which is almost true. <laughs> uh, and uh, at the same time, uh, Ricky Hype. So Ricky Myers ah, yes. win The Apprentice. But yeah, wow. as they were basically, I was doing a hammerlock summer training week and I was sort of helping out with that and they were on that. So I'll count that as training them. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, 100%. This... This is wrestling. Never let the truth get in the way of a good uh, alleged fact. Exactly. I also once drove Samoa Joe to Subway. <laughs> and I mean, you've you've had an, an, a lot of different gimmicks. Do you come yeah. up with these gimmicks yourself? Do you and do you do the costuming yourself as well? 
Uh, pretty much. Uh, I mean, Blockbuster was the original gimmick I'd done, and at first it was just just a straight gimmick. And the name, I was literally almost about to go out to the ring, my first Hamlock show, and Magic was there. It was like, you need a name. What's your name? I don't know. You need a name. Come on, hurry up. And I went with Blockbuster, which was the name of a character I used on WWF No Mercy on the N64. <laughs> Uh, which was a spin-off of my friend's uh, character who, I can't, I think it's the, sh- the Showtime kid or the Showboat kid or something. And he's, oh, we'll do Blockbuster, I'll do the tag partner, that'll do. And I just picked that name of, uh, in a panic and, uh, yeah, ran with that for a couple of years. Ended up uh, pretty much straight away after that, the plan was to do the mask gimmick, which became Exodus, even though for about a year i just done it with face paint uh and that the gear that uh, john ryan kind of designed the gear to that and then i sent it off and uh got easy money to make it back in the day oh yeah when he was still making stuff uh then yeah went back and started doing blockbuster as a outlandish comedy jobber basically had some fun with that was doing Exodus on the camps, then one that literally the very last day of the camps, I think 2008, got bored, thought, oh, I'll do a different gimmick. Oh, I like this music by Godsmack called Voodoo. Uh, I'll just do Voodoo as a gimmick. And then done it for one day, had some fun with it. And then the next year, just as the camps were starting, oh, yeah, we want you to do the camps again. Do you want to do that Voodoo gimmick? I said, what? So I had a week to go and basically buy a load of gear and work out to do the face paint again. And yeah, I've been running with them ever since. I mean, now it's only the voodoo I do. I haven't done Exodus in, what, a couple of years, really. I haven't done Blockbuster in a lot longer. But yeah, it's all it's all me for the most part. A man of many talents. And finally, why why have you chosen, out of the plethora of uh, WW pay-per-views out there, why have you chosen Starcade 91? Uh, because I hate you, I hate myself, and I hate all the listeners, apparently. Oh, at least that makes sense. I was wondering, <laughs> during, whilst watching this back, of like, why would anyone choose this? So, yeah, that makes sense. At least someone's yeah. honest about it. Everyone yeah. else just lies and says they've got a reason. It's not that they hate us, but we know they do. Yeah, we pretty much. We know they do. Uh, well, no, uh, this was one of the VH tapes, uh, VHS tapes I grew up with when they released them all sort of early 90s. It's like this, Super Brawl 2, uh, WrestleWar 92... Well, the other ones I had, uh, Super Brawl 1 and uh, Great American Brash 91. And this was this and Royal Rumble 92 at the time were our favourite pay-per-views ever. Used to watch him a lot. I think what helped with the VHS, they cut five of the matches out. Ah. And just because, obviously, uh, with this one... It all built up to the battle bowl at the end. They had little uh, clips of each of the other matches. But most of the other WCW VHSs at the time just cut out loads of matches. So yeah, I, uh, I remember having um, Starcade 1990, and I'm sure that had uh, some bits cut out or snipped. I'm sure it did. Yeah, there's 91 as well. Yeah, yeah, most of them. Because they were like two-hour VHS tapes, and they're all three-hour events. Um, 
yeah, so that probably helped because uh, I've only, literally only over the last couple of days have I watched it back in full. And yeah, it it gets old really quick, doesn't it? Ten tag matches. <laughs> yeah, indeed it does. Yes, so we will get on to uh, we'll get on to that in just one moment. Just before we do though, I want to tell you about the latest events from our friends at Hooked on Wrestling. If you're listening to this just a few days after we release it. If you're one of our subscribers, you'll hear this in time because the Royal Rumble is upon us and Hooked on Wrestling are hosting some viewing parties all around the country. Uh, One at Shoreditch in London is going to have an NXT UK meet and greet and Q&A session with Dave Mastiff, Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster. Uh, But they've also got viewing parties in Leeds, Manchester, Cardiff, Newcastle, Glasgow, Hull, Brighton, Liverpool, Aberdeen and a VIP party at London Bridge. Um, And also WrestleMania will be... uh, be lots of parties going on there. London ones and Aberdeen have been announced already. You can buy your tickets for them by going to hookedonevents.co.uk. Our good friends there, run by Hattrick Ballman, uh, Paul Benson. Listen up, slap nuts. That's right. This is Jeff Jarrett, the chosen one, and you're listening to Because WCW. Now choke on that. Okay, so Starcade 1991, here we go. Yes, indeed, it is time for another concept Starcade. As WCW presents us with the Lethal Lottery and the Battle Bowl. We're told at the intro of the show that 40 of WCW's top stars, which apparently includes Mike Graham and Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, will be drawn... And Oz. Don't forget Oz. (laughs) Is he in the... uh, He's in the credits at the opening. Ah, His name pops up and is nowhere to be seen. (laughs) Nowhere to be seen, no. Uh, They will be drawn into random tag teams with the winners advancing to the Battle Bowl 2 Ring Battle Royal. And uh, what do you get for winning the Battle Bowl? A world title shot? A million dollars? No. The answer is apparently fuck all. So uh, we have a pay-per-view, not just any pay-per-view, but supposedly Starcade's the biggest one of the year where we don't know any of the matches, just the 40 competitors. Um, You'll be surprised to I'm sure that this did the lowest buy rate of any Starcade in company history at this point in time. But don't worry, Starcade 2000, with its main event of Scott Steiner v Sid Vicious, eclipsed that as the lowest buy, buy rate of any Starcade ever a few months before the company folded. So we're coming from the Scope in Norfolk, Virginia, a beautiful venue, an NWA WW stronghold. Um, our commentators for the evening are. Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone, who, of course, are now back reunited at the desk of AEW. Uh, Eric Bischoff and Missy Hyatt addressed to the nines, along with tonight's commissioner, Magnum TA. And they're all standing up on the stage behind the kind of tombola drum that you tend to see in your local church fate, except for this one, is gold-coloured. Uh, all the WCW superstars are gathered on the stage, separated into heels and faces as pyrotechnics sort of go off sporadically. Um, and it, it all feels rather clunky and not particularly running smoothly at this point. Um, so what, what are we thinking at this point? How are we, how are we thinking that a, a randomly drawn set of tag matches is going to go? Are we excited at this point? No. <laughs> There's my answer. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I still like the concept. It just doesn't really work. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So um, we have 40 envelopes in a drum, which Missy Hyatt then has to open and hand to Bischoff. Um, they quite obviously all contain blank bits of paper, but yeah, let's pretend for a moment it really is a blind <laughs> draw. So our first match pits Michael Hayes and Tracy Smothers. Imagine uh, going out for a night out with those two against Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Jimmy Garvin. So our first match brings us Freebird versus Freebird plus a heel and a face having to team up in Hayes and Smothers. Um, Garvin seems to be relishing the prospect of facing Hayes. We're informed that a time limit draw, double counter or double DQ will eliminate both teams. Bagwell's portrayed as a rookie who's been in WCW for less than a month at this point in time. In reality, he'd only been around for a couple of years, actually, but had done some work in Georgia and in Global. Um, the crowd are pretty quiet, considering this is the opener. I'm sure it's something that Liam will uh, get into with the art of the opener. Um, Bagwell does the WCW rookie trademark offensive drop kicks and arm drags. Uh, Smothers is taking punishment, but he refuses to tag in Hayes because he's the heel and Hayes is a face. Uh, Ross points out on commentary, this is to the detriment of the team overall if they want to get to Battle Bowl. Uh, about seven or eight minutes into the match, Smothers leaps across to Hayes and makes a tag to put Hayes in against Garvin, and they lock up without hesitation. But even then, the crowd don't seem to really be reacting to it. Um, after a couple of minutes of lock-ups and a roll-up attempt, they simultaneously tag in their partners. Bagwell gets a near fall with a top-rope body block. The match then sort of breaks down with all four men in the ring. Hayes accidentally nails Garvin out of instinct while there's a brawl going on. And while they argue, Bagwell hits his fisherman suplex on Smothers for the match-winning pin. Barry, your thoughts on the opener? Uh, yeah, like you said, the art of the opener, and this isn't it. <laughs> this is a match of... See, I, I get where the rumour of... Uh, it all being shoot like actual real random drawings because they they don't look like they've planned anything and it's they're literally just running just arm drag drop kick and waste a load of time so it's yeah it's not a great it's not a great tag match let alone a great opener <laughs> i mean i suppose the one thing we have got that puts over the the concept of the random draw is the fact that the free birds are, are going up against each other but yeah, straight away in the first match. Wow, mm. that's that's a coincidence. Shall we say? <laughs> yeah, that kills the shoot rumors right, yeah, <laughs> right exactly. out of the water. Uh, well, yeah, um, right, that's not what really kills the shoot rumors, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> well, the sad thing is, is a uh, de demolition at the Royal Rumble. This is not. Mm, See that yeah. that was exciting. That was cool, but this is just tepid. And uh, if we're going to talk about art of the opener, is, is there an actual established term that is the opposite of art which is something that is definitely not art because that would be all of the stalling yeah you uh, wouldn't have yeah, that if, so uh, much stalling. Uh, yeah not a, not a classic i mean it seems also it seemed to me that the, the sort of the intrigue of hayes v garvin was was downplayed more than anything but um not only that, but one of the things that did stick out to me is if, if you're going to try and hammer home this concept and make it a stayer, something that works, one thing I would probably do is, in the opening match, have someone who's got an actual shot of winning the battle royal at the end be part of the, win the first winning duo. 
there's a reason why I, I referenced the Royal Rumble earlier. There's a reason why they always stick a few good names in early on. Then the middle tends to fill up with some guff. Then you get the, the real favourites at the end. Uh, and they bookend it like that, and it and it works. With this, you you kind of the opening match has got two guys who you know don't have a snowball's chance in hell in the battle royal, and I don't think that helped the crowd reactions for this one either. No, although there's only a handful of people that did have a chance of winning it, I think. But um, we'll we'll see them later on. But um, so we have cameras are uh, in both the face and heel dressing rooms to see people's reaction when their names are drawn. And uh, it, well, we'll we'll come on to more of that later on in this uh, event. We draw out match number two, and and uh, here we go. This if this was the opener, maybe things would be different because we have the dangerous alliance pairing of Rick Rude and Steve Austin drawn together um, and they're against the team of Van Hammer and Big Josh can you say bland um, nobody really gets a proper entrance which also might have something to do with the lack of crowd reactions in this opener uh, but Van Hammer's music plays quietly as he's midway down the ramp um, to add to the terrible production of this so far um, the camera stayed on Bischoff and Co at the Tombola drum for far too long after the draw and the sound levels have been terrible for everyone except the commentators um, Austin's trunks I don't know what the rest of you thought but I thought Austin's trunks looked like they'd been taken from the opening credits of Saved by the Bell which was of the same sort of time yeah he had that problem early on but uh, I, I thought when he joined the Dangerous Alliance that's when he, he, he sharpened up but obviously there was a bit yes. of an overlap when he was still in his his uh, USWA early WCW nauseating macho man coat escarb Got to get his money's worth out of that gear, you know. Yes. Um, speaking of gear, though, speaking of gear, Rude's tights are the same tights he wore at WrestleMania 6. Oh, really? Yeah. That's something I found out in my little bit of research. Marvellous. I wonder if there was a secret they, lawsuit about that. Yeah, they seemed very faded compared to what they were at WrestleMania 6. <laughs> Been through the wash a few times. Yeah, well, what, a year and a half later, I guess this is? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so... So um, the heels are understandably working very well together and they've isolated Van Hammer, whose lack of wrestling ability is only highlighted by being in the ring with people the calibre of Rude and Austin. Uh, Big Josh finally comes in and in a uh, great spot, he does his trademark log roll spot, which is basically standing on Rude's midsection and doing multiple stomps. But Rude then no-sells it because of his washboard abs. Um, I thought that was a really good little spot. I don't, I don't remember him doing the no-selling abs before, but that was brilliant. This, yeah. is one of the ma- this is one of the matches that was cut on the uh, VHS. Ah, oh, okay. the first time I've seen it. But right. yeah, I don't think I'd even seen the log roll before, so I thought that was brilliant. And then the no-selling was even better. Yes. Um, I had seen the log roll uh, many times before because Big Josh was one of those wrestlers who seemed to be on WCW Worldwide at 3 o'clock in the morning every fucking week. <laughs> and then you'd, you'd wonder to yourself, why have I stayed up till this, you know, till 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning to watch Big Josh? But hey, what can you do? Um... So, yeah, the, the faces take over on the Dangerous Alliance. They're in charge for a period of the match. So the great double team puts the match back in control of Rude and Austin. Um, we then um, we cut to a shot of the two dressing rooms. We see that the Diamond Stud has his arm in a sling and that Jushin Liger has seemingly wandered into the heel dressing room. Yeah, I that's sake. Thought that, yeah. He doesn't, yes. Even in his match, he doesn't wrestle as a heel at all. But I guess he just needed to make up the numbers. 
I was going to say he he was kind of feuding. Uh, it wasn't animosity, but he was feuding against uh, Pill. Brian Pillman for the light yeah. heavyweight title. Maybe he's just a de facto bad guy, even though he probably was very nice to everyone in that locker room. They just responded <laughs> with glares. I, I reckon he uh, he probably went to catch a cigarette off someone and then didn't realize then they, they're like shit the cameras on. They okay. held him hostage. Yes, yes, those damn heels <laughs> holding Liger hostage. Um, so uh, towards the end of the match, Paulie dangerously accidentally gets bumped and this throws the heels off their game plan. However, Rude makes the blind tag to Austin and that allows Rude to enter the ring, hit Van Hammer with the Rude Awakening for the pin. Uh, what do you think of this one, Barry? Uh, well, like I said, that log roll and no-sell spot, brilliant. The uh, cut-off they done with the... Uh, I guess it was Josh going for the Okana roll into the ropes with Austin Duck in mm. and Rude hitting him. That was brilliant as well. And that uh, cut-off with bumping uh, Heyman as well, pulling him into the ring for Austin to sit on him. Yeah. All brilliant spots. Yeah. Uh, I said this is the first time I've seen this match, so yeah, it's one of those ones where you get a bit confused why they keep some of the other matches in, maybe because this was a pretty good one. Uh, Van Hammer, notwithstanding, obviously. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw my name into that general consensus. I enjoyed this as well. It's worth noting, and I know you kind of touched upon it there yourself, Dean. Uh, Big Josh and Van Hammer at the time, you you just wouldn't believe it looking back now. But at the time, with us watching WCW Worldwide the UK and things like that, they really were two guys. WCW were really trying to push Ooh. as as mid-card babyface acts to try and get them maybe a little higher than that. And you would imagine that maybe the, the matchmaking on this particular... Uh, tag team out other than going the complete opposite of the whole partners get drawn against each other now you get the two with they get all the luck in the world they're subtle as a sledgehammer with the with the random draw uh, conundrums here but other than that you, you're sticking two guys who they have high hopes for for whatever reason against uh top bad guys and the idea is i suppose that they look you know, they, they give them a run for their money. They look quite good. They look like one day they could go on to better things. But ultimately, they lose to the cohesive unit and those two guys progress. But, yeah, it, it just didn't come off like that. It just, it, thankfully, it just, it was enjoyable. It was it was fine enough to watch. But, yeah, we, yeah. it didn't take us long to find out that they were definitely better. And I, I like Matt Bourne, but, yeah, it, the, those, those two gimmicks just weren't going to last. It shows how tone deaf they were. Yeah. But um, I think, yeah, the baby faces were given plenty of time to shine. But, yeah, as you say, the cohesive unit of the Dangerous Alliance always had the advantage. The method I... was spot on, but they just they backed the wrong horses, really, didn't they? Yeah. OK, so then we go straight into match number three. I guess with so many matches to get through, we don't have much gap in between these. It's just match, go to the go to the stage for the draw, go to the next match. And we have uh, Dustin Rhodes and Richard Morton versus Larry Zabisco and Eligante. So uh, Zabisco doesn't like the idea of teaming with Eligante, and quite frankly, who can blame him? Um, I want to see the four, five for eight Morton against the seven foot seven Eligante. Um, they do mention that Rhodes and Morton have teamed up 
before, uh, which had been prior to Morton's heel turn earlier in the year. So this this was the the York Foundation was still going at this point, wasn't wasn't it? Although we don't see Alexandra York anywhere, but it was. Um, yes. By the sound of the common uh, commentary later, it sounded like it was about to split up because uh, Terry Taylor was, by the sound of it, about to drop out of the York Foundation. And I don't think it went on much longer after that. Yeah, right, they, they foreshadowed so, yeah. the hell out of that, didn't they? Yeah, so I think this was sort of the very tail end of it. Right, yeah, because you had this bunch of mid-card baby faces who had all become uh, all become heels using their full names. So yeah, Terry yeah. Taylor was Terence Taylor and... Ricky Morton was Richard Morton and um, Thomas, Rich. Thomas Rich, who we see later on, yes. Using the dreaded computer of the future that could predict yes. how to win. Talk about tone death with Van Hammond. We've got PM News <laughs> coming up later. Yes. Oh, it I love su- It sums up the... It's a sort of uh, brain fart you see on The Apprentice. You know, if they come up with ideas for video <laughs> yeah. games, they're like, oh, video games are hip with the kids. We'll do a hip video game. Everyone just looks on, what the fuck are you making here? What the, what the hell are you pitching? That is um, WCW uh, creative at this stage. See what, just throw all your shit against the wall and see if any, if any of it sticks. Yeah. Um, and the nice little visual, Zabisco has to stand on the second rope to talk face to face with Elegante. Um both teams are sort of functioning well during this match. You know, Elegante is being kept on the apron, which is for the best. Um, the crowd, again, are absolutely silent during the match. Um, and I think one of the things with this is because they're using two rings, one match is always a distance away from half of the ringsiders, which doesn't help things. Um Zabisco asks Igante to put his knee up to run Rhodes' head into it, but Elegante refuses to comply, or the commentators speculate maybe he doesn't understand. And this is the beginning of the end for the team of Zabisco and Elegante. Zabisco starts yelling at his partner. He then slaps the giant across the face. Um, Elegante drags Zabisco into the ring, whips him into the path of a double drop kick from Rhodes and Morton for the winning pinfall, um, which means at least we don't have to endure the conundrum of how to eliminate a seven foot seven bloke from a battle royal. So um, I suppose it was mercifully short. That's as good as you can say about it, isn't it? Yeah, and you say the crowd was silent. They did pop once when Elegante starts just shouting at Medusa. And the crowd popped big for that. No apparent reason. Oh, yes. But Morton does literally nothing in this match. Smart guy. Yeah, he does. And he does a drop kick at the end and a really shit one as well. I think Zabisco uh, was out of position for it. Mm. But apart from that, yeah. Like you said, it was short. And thank God. I mean, it told a story. It told a simple story. But it, that, that had a purpose, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have to yeah. say, I, I appreciated this match. I appreciate the fact that they went in there, they hit the points, sto- as you said, storytelling-wise, they hit the points that they went to do, and they left. Uh, yeah. Zabisco was hilarious dealing with El Higada. And that was always a thing. We covered um, Great American Bash 90, do you remember, Dina? About a year and a half ago. And this was very early on. And at this stage, they must have been on the verge of giving up on him. But very early on, everyone was doing their best to sell him as a threat, and the four horsemen were running from him and this, that, and the other. And there was very much that similar level of energy in Zabisco in really trying to cartoon it up to benefit 
El Gigante. But um, but yeah, I kind of also got you know messed up drop kick aside. I I appreciate the whole role of um, you know you you had a bad guy in there, a Hill, who was still very businesslike about it. Like, you know, uh, rather than having every tag team fall out if they're on either side of that invisible line, in this instance, you've got someone who appreciates that, yeah, I've got to uh, get this done, get in the battle royal, and as soon as it's over, he trudges off and he, you know, he shoots some all dirty looks and trudges off. He's got what he wants, a place in battle royal. Yeah. That's what everyone wants. For That's what I want. Reason. Yeah. That's what it's all about. We yeah. were cool. We wanted to get in Battle Bowl before they started giving out rings. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you didn't even get a ring for this, did you? Oh. No. But to get on to Dean's point earlier when he said about you don't get number one contendership or anything like that, well, yeah. I'll, I'll save the spoilers for the end. But it turns out there is a significant stepping stone for the winner. And you've got to remember, this is before even the Royal Rumble at this stage was not formally winner gets the title shot at WrestleMania. No. They hadn't started that yet. So I can cut them a bit of slack. That's, that's yeah. all the slack yes. I'm willing to cut them. I'll go in two-footed on them after. Don't you worry. <laughs> okay, match number four. It's the odd team of uh, Bill Kazmaier and Jushin Liger against Diamond Dallas Page and Mike and uh, Mike Graham. So... Um, just what want to cut in here quick. I've just seen in my notes. There's a great bit here. Just after they announce Liger and he leaves the ch- dressing room, uh, Zabisco walks back into the dressing room and just goes, he's a jerk! <laughs> Talking about uh, Elegante. Elegante. Or The Giant, as it's written on his tights, with two E's in the. Yeah. And again, this says something about WCW creative, doesn't it? They had a post Elegante. Obviously, we had Paul White. Yeah. It's like, right, we've got a giant. What should we call him? The giant. Yeah. And prior to that, we had a giant from Argentina where they speak Spanish. So we'll call him the giant in Spanish. Yeah. Damn right. Oh, it gets worse, Dean. Would you believe this? But there's several WCW wrestlers after this and before this. They went and sent them out to the ring with their real names. How dare they? <laughs> I, 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 I don't get I don't get the angst of that. I actually like, you know, I, I think if it works and it, let's face it, if you're a fucking giant, the giant works, it's marketable. If you did that in every instance, there'd be traces of laziness. But if you use it because it's the best method, I've got to say, the, the giant El Gigante, ah, I don't see the problem there. And almost nobody had a day job. Almost. There was no plumbers, there was no uh, bin men. We've got a lumberjack, no though. Farmers. Yeah, I suppose. And we've got a concert guitarist. <laughs> a concert guitarist, yeah. Yeah, that's... And of course, later on, we had the maestro. Oh, he was brilliant. And Billy Wood almost booked him. I was just about to say, Billy Wood nearly booked once. Okay, so um, Missy Hyatt supposedly reads the piece of paper that she's drawn out, shows it to Magnum TA, they both react to it, and then she hands it to Eric Bischoff, turning it upside down in the process, (laughs) just to show us all that there's actually nothing written on any of them. Amazing. But this still isn't the most blatant, exhibition uh, of how this is all completely rigged and still to come so as 
um, this is, as far as I'm aware, the first pay-per-view appearance of Diamond Dallas Page, yep. a man who's probably been featured on more episodes of Because WCW than anyone else. Um, this is Liger's first appearance, pay-per-view appearance for WCW as well. And what a waste of talents, his talents this is. <laughs> um, he had won the WCW light heavyweight title a few days before from Brian Pillman on Christmas, Christmas Day, Day evening yeah. in Atlanta. Christmas Wrestling Dino. Yep. Yes. That's, I've literally got that in my notes. Christmas wrestling exclamation mark. That was for you, that was. Thank yep. you for adding the exclamation mark. Yeah. That means the world to me. Also, apparently, for this, uh, rumour has it, Dusty Rhodes told Mike Graham to eat Liger up. Oh, really? So you can see during this, he, it, he doesn't give Liger much. <laughs> He doesn't seem to know how to react to a lot of Liger's moves, yeah, has to be said. Fair. He the um the rolling copo kick that Liger does. Oh, that's he's, lovely. He's totally out of position. I think he gets completely clobbered with that yeah. for legit. Um so yeah, we start things off with Liger v. Mike Graham. So Mike Graham's usually an agent and a trainer rather than an in-ring talent. I think that's something that Jim Ross alludes to. Um and he stays in the ring to work with his trainee, the inexperienced Bill Kazmaier, who, who I remember as a kid from World's Strongest Man competitions. Um, Kazmaier's using basic power moves, and when I say basic power moves, I think the only moves he actually does in these ma- this match are body slams and clotheslines. Um, he then misses a middle rope splash. Um, we then get the bizarre matchup of Jushin Liger v DDP. It just looks weird, but um, both of these men have also wrestled matches in the year 2020, nearly 30 years later. Um, Liger executes his bow and arrow hold or surfboard, as we know in this country, on Graham. That move elicits the first crowd reaction of the match. Later on, Graham falls to the floor. Liger hits a flip plancher to the floor, which brings the crowd to life. And I don't necessarily know that Graham was expecting that either. Um, it's not a move that would have been seen in mainstream American wrestling much before then. Um, the end of the match comes a short while later. Kazmaier press slams Liger into a crossbody block onto DDP for the three count. Um, you've got DDP and Mike Graham there, and you choose to put DDP as the man had taken the pinfall. Spoilers, but this is one of, of the ten of the ten matches. Three of them end with a crossbody. So, yes. Yeah, there's like eight top rope crossbodies on this show. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, like you said, uh, Graham just doesn't seem to know how to take a lot of Liger stuff. He does uh, sort of the head scissors out the corner and just he flops onto the floor. It's just it doesn't just doesn't flow. And every time Kazmaier gets in, he just sort of locks up and grabs a wrist lock. And then, like you said, slams and clotheslines. Mm. It's it's nothing really. And this is one of the matches they put in full on the uh, VHS. Oh Jesus! Yeah. So. Oh, but this does. There is something in this that did bring up. It became a running joke for many years with me and my friends watching this. Uh, it happened in the first match as well. But Jr. Just keeps calling it. Oh, spinning karate kick. Oh, martial arts kick. Oh, karate kick. There, any kick is a karate kick or a spinning karate kick. And we just we run with that for years. Anything, drop kick. Oh, it's a karate kick. I think we we'd occasionally get a mule kick from him as well. Oh yeah, yeah, always the mule kick. <laughs> yeah, but not in this one. Uh, 
But looking back, it's one of those things, he doesn't say it as many times as I thought he did. Quite disappointing in the end. Oh, I'm just grateful there wasn't any references to Japanese car manufacturers. <laughs> oh, God. The Jesse Ventura thing, maybe. But I'm pretty <laughs> sure JR's popped in every now and again with it. But now you bring up uh, JR again. We, I know Dean mentioned earlier about JR and Shiovani being reunited with AEW, but I did kind of enjoy to hear that there's there's the same degree of playful banter throughout this show between the two of them, that they definitely still pull off on each other, even on episodes of Dynamite as recently as like the last few weeks. So I kind of like that. And I think one of the reasons I'm bringing up this, uh, this time-jumping reference is because there is absolutely nothing I want to add about this match. <laughs> it, it was just a it was a very brief spectacle three quarters of it spent scratchy head wondering why uh I, I, again i'm going to save my heavy artillery about the overall concept for later on but this is another example of how not to do it yeah. and um it, it, it just it goes on far too long as well yeah yes yeah, so a couple of the matches they were you know they want to go send them out there and make their you know they have their beats their points you go get that done have a bullet point sort of match. Five minutes, come back, do the battle rule later. Like half of you, but uh, in this, it just I, I, I think 50% of these matches should have been cut down by 50%. And I'm not, I'm not a wrestling industry guy. I'm, not, I'm just a fan. But I can, I can safely say, as can a lot of fans who've watched a lot of stuff, you know, I will enjoy that more if you do less of it. Less is more. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, we will move on quickly from that match then. <laughs> and uh, we go on to match number five. I mean, I suppose one, one other thing just to mention on that is, you know, this could have been a really good showcase for Liger, but what's yeah, well, that, that came, yeah, that came a couple of months later, didn't it? Yes. Liger uh, and uh, Pillman. Liger and Pillman, oh, indeed. Super Bowl two. Hmm. That sounds like a good pay-per-view to cover. Absolutely. Yeah. Should Classic. we do that soon, Dean? I think we should, Liam. Yeah, Definitely. maybe we should try and concoct something. We dot, will, yes. Dot, dot, dot. Might be an anniversary <laughs> coming up. Who knows? Yes. Maybe. maybe. Oh, yeah, don't worry. I'm sure that anniversary will come up again soon. For in a few years, you know. Yeah. Four, four yeah. years, something. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> so match number five pits the team of Lex Luger and Arn Anderson against Terence Taylor and Tom Zenk. Um, Tom Zenk, that is, who happens to be standing up, ready to head to the ring moments before his name is called. But that's still not the worst thing no, that happens. Not even close. <laughs> um, so we have a team here of the world champion Lex Luger and arguably the greatest tag team wrestler of all time in Arn Anderson. And then watching Ar Anderson talking with Luger's manager, Harley Race. Yeah, no, I like that. I'll yeah, just... <laughs> yeah, I, I just thought what an amazing duo that would have been. Um, so going into what you were saying earlier about the York Foundation, Taylor does seem to be working this match as a babyface. Um, and he's in the ring with Luger for a good portion of the match. And he's getting the better of the world champion for a lot of the match and nearly pins him. Yeah. Um, eventually, Luger tags in Anderson, who briefly regains control of the match for his team until Taylor takes over again. Um, in a great spot, Zenk's in but gets tripped by Race at ringside. And as he stumbles, Anderson hits his always awesome looking DDT, but Taylor makes the save. Except, um, except of course, uh, he trips before he gets tripped. 
stumbles across <laughs> the ring, runs back, and then gets tripped. <laughs> but we won't mention that. We, we won't, no. no, no um, Taylor comes back in and once again is dominating the world champion and making a great account of himself. The end comes when Taylor runs off the ropes after signaling for his five-arm finisher, so-called because it's better than a forearm, for fuck's sake. <laughs> oh, I always um, like that. I like that. <laughs> but um, Anderson knees him in the back. Taylor stumbles into the attitude adjustment. No, not John Cena's move. That's what Luger called his pile driver finisher when he turned heel. And Luger gets the pin. Amazingly enough, this match, which I thought was really good, went three minutes shorter than the previous match with Bill Kazmaier and Mike Graham in it. Yeah. But still, it was a good pile driver, wasn't it? For those listening out there, don't listen to Dean. The attitude adjuster is Lex Luger's pole driver. The attitude adjustment is that rather lame uh, fireman's carry uh, where John Cena gently puts someone into bed and tucks them in. I beg your pardon. Yeah. It's, it's very subtle difference. I, I thought it was, it was good to point that out. And yes. just out of spite, yes, I thought that was the best fucking pole driver I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make a gif of it and post it daily on Twitter and was, tag was it, you. Was it as good as the uh, tombstone in uh, the Sting does later? Mm. Uh, you can't listen, listen, right? When it comes to WCW, certain things are sacred and a tombstone reversal spot, no, especially as that, Sting was... does it. I was waiting for the reversal. There was no reversal. There was just a botched pole driver. No, no reversal. All right, in that case, screw them. It was terrible. Yeah, I hate them all. But if there's a tombstone <laughs> reversal spot, yeah, I, I love seeing a tombstone reversal spot in WCW. I think it's just because it's used by the big guys like Paige and Sting. Yes, yeah, usually Sting. And I think Sting's the only one I've seen do sort of the cartwheel reversal out of it rather than just going over backwards. Oh, I wouldn't know how to do either twist. <laughs> It's I have both done and completely failed doing the uh, backwards one, <laughs> the pickup, but I've never even tried the cartwheel one. As long as you haven't screwed one up like Owen Hart, that's what you want to avoid. Um, I winded a trainee in Wales once. That's about the worst tombstone experience. Ah, that doesn't count. Yeah. But, but... <laughs> but this seemed to be the first match that the fans actually reacted to. Yes. Because, yeah, they were they just popped for uh, Luger being beaten up, really. <laughs> and Arn was out there, which is always good. Well, I think Taylor helped with that. He was, you yeah. know, as we said earlier, you've got the precursor. The, you know, he's doing the whole babyface fire thing. He's being never say dire. They're telegraphing the, the storyline after this pay-per-view a mile off. Uh, fair enough, you know, it's not always a bad thing. But it also inadvertently led to the random draw having very clear lines. And yeah, I really appreciate the whole Harley race almost adopting Arn Anderson there. Yeah. Uh, it's, called, it's kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to assume the role of coach for this one. You've both got coach, coaches, but this is, this is my match. I kind of like that as well. But yeah, you've got defined lines here. You've got a, a, a you know, a, a hero team and a villain team and they worked. It was probably the, cl- at this point, it's the closest to formula. Mm, traditional yeah, formula and there was the biggest piece of evidence you've got that the fans just wanted a bit of traditional wrestling and i always tip my cap to people who try a concept but yeah that's that's the biggest sign so far that the no matter whether you do it well or not it's just not going to translate 
and they didn't do it well. I do want to talk about the start because I think that was classic Arn, and it was brilliant. Where he goes and knocks uh, Taylor off the apron, does a bit with Z-Man, but then scoots out the ring, and it's like, oh, I'm smarter than this, and uh, Taylor's out there to give him a good shot. <laughs> nice little simple thing, but it's one of the sort of things that Arn did lots of. And yeah, really appreciated that. Uh, and what else I'll get? I did like how Luger got people up for the gorilla press a hell of a lot easier than the so-called world's strongest man, Bill Kazmaier, as well. It seemed to me that Taylor kind of turns the clock back here because this is the sort of the fired up baby face performances we, we saw when he was like in the the UWF and people were tipping him as a future superstar until yeah. then he became the Red Rooster. Oh, that's what I've got in my notes here. Cause, uh, you must have heard the story of, uh, I'm pretty sure Terry Taylor told used to tell it himself, how uh, the Mr. Perfect gimmick was, uh, it was a toss-up, whether he got it or Kurt Hennig got it. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, it, it's complete bollocks. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it's something that Terry Taylor used to say, apparently. And I noticed in this match, he'd done the snap mare and then the rolling head snap, just like Perfect. Yeah. Uh, okay, I've not yeah, heard yeah. that one, but then no, it yeah, sounds like I hadn't heard it because it's bollocks. But yes, yeah, the box of gimmicks that uh, Bruce Pritchard always goes on about on his podcast—they just uh, reach into the box and here's oh, Mister Perfect, you can have this gimmick, and here's oh, Max Moon, there you go, you can have this one, and then the Red Rooster, you yeah, can have and then that. oh yeah, that's left over, Mister Cockadoodle Doo Man. Yeah. Um. Okay, strap yourself yeah. in. It's time for match number six. It's uh, It pits Ricky the Dragon the Steamboat and Todd Champion v Cactus Jack and Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. And in the most because WCW moment of the entire pay-per-view, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, who is sitting down in a chair right in front of the camera, although to be fair, I think he's been sitting there for a few matches, actually gets up out of his chair moments before his name is even called and then because he's got up too early he has to stand motionless for a few seconds for no apparent reason so that abdullah the butcher can attack him inside of the heel dressing room abdullah then attacks him apparently because uh he wanted to be cactus's partner um and he's smashing his head into the lockers and hitting him with a cane and all the other and the wrestlers broom and a, yes, breaks a broom over his back. Um, and all the other heels just stand around doing nothing or talking among themselves. I love I that. Know... Except uh, for Vader, who's just sitting on the floor. And yes. so they come over close and he suddenly gets up and gets out of the way. <laughs> yes. I, I, I can only suppose it's because they're heels. Yeah, I thought that was on point. I love that. They're like, yeah, you're fucked, mate. <laughs> We're not helping you. We 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 <laughs> we like watching the carnage. They, yeah, they just scatter, you know. Yeah. It's like, have you seen that some um, video that's doing the rounds on social media a couple of weeks ago? A fight in a kebab shop in South Sea. Yes. With between, between punters and the staff, and there's this one old boy near the camera who's just still eating his kebab. <laughs> just a not mean giving way to happen. <laughs> Yeah, just just not giving a fuck. Um, Ooh, before so, you go on, backing yes. up a tiny bit, something I heard, it, I think it was 
as they were announcing Todd Champion. Mm. You could, it cuts to the locker room, but you can hear Missy Hyatt go, oh, if there was a camera on, and then mumble something, I think, oh, we could have been in trouble. And oh, then, yeah. and then as Cactus, as she pulls out the one that's apparently for Cactus, she turns to Magnum TA and goes, oh, I think that's a shoot. So, no idea what was going on there. <laughs> so maybe they did have names on the card and they just ignored them. Oh, who no knows? idea. But yeah, yeah, there's a couple of little things I heard. I had to rewind a couple of times. So. Yeah, her microphone does. There are a few times when her when they're off camera, but her mic is on. Um, yeah. Someone on Twitter said apparently you can hear her saying she's going to run to the bathroom. Yeah, no, there's something. Yeah, something. Oh, I can run off now. That's a yeah. bit later. Actually, backing up right to the start of the show, they announced Magnum TA as the former United States champion of the world. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah, the, brilliant. Yes. Yeah. Well, the uh, the US is the world to some yeah, yeah. in some people's minds, I guess. Um, so yes, Ross yeah. tries to cover by saying that no one wants anything to do with Abdullah, and that's why nothing's happened. But anyway, we cut back to the ring. Um, where Cactus is shouting, where's my partner? And Abdullah then waddles to the ring, but he's stopped by officials who I'm really hoping get attacked, but don't. Um, mm. Just as Abdullah's about to get to the curtain, a bedraggled Parker comes through the curtain. It's wonderful timing and gets waffled with the kendo stick once again. In um, the head multiple times. Yeah, you know, it was the 90s. We didn't know yeah. about concussions. Um, the co- and this is also Abdullah the Butcher. He's the man who once nicked a coffee jug from a hotel and smashed it over someone's head during the match, you know. He doesn't... gets a hell of a receipt later, though, but we'll cover that soon. Okay. <laughs> um, the commentators give us updates on where Parker is, but the director never bothers to send the cameraman over there, or if he has done, it never cuts to it. So the commentators are talking about something we can't actually see, which, as a commentator, I can tell you, you're told to never, ever, ever do. But hey, finally, we do see Parker literally crawling down the ramp right next to the ring apron. Um, also, Todd Champion, one half of the Patriots from WCW Special Forces, which we love, um, is wearing khaki-coloured tights, but down his right leg, he has a blue stripe and a red stripe next to each other with a white eagle over the top. And to me, and I'm sure to you as well, Liam, he just looks like he's a massive Crystal Palace fan. <laughs> Um, Cactus is in for virtually the entire match. He tags in Parker, drags him over the top rope into the ring and basically feeds him to Steamboat, who lands a power slam followed by his patented, yep, you've got it, top rope cross body block for the pinfall. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was basically a handicap match with Cactus. So it was pretty good. We got that stupid uh, second rope elbow drop to the floor, which... Looked like it hurt everyone involved. Yes. <laughs> he stopped doing that after a while, didn't he? Yeah. This one, I noticed he lands fully on his knee rather than on his hip. Nice. So I don't know if that's better or worse, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it's a good story with this one, I guess. But obviously, completely killed the kayfabe with uh, Buddy Lee Parker getting up. Based on you know, what we've seen of Buddy Lee Parker... Uh, in that, uh, have you seen the Louis Theroux documentary? Yes, I'm sure yes, you I must have. have, and and you have as well, Liam. I'm sure. Mm, a while back. 
Yeah. Yeah, but, you mentioned this on Twitter, didn't you? I saw this earlier. Yes. Can can you imagine what Buddy Lee Parker would be like if one of his power plant trainees had done that on a pay per view? <laughs> they would be vomiting in the gutter. Maybe, but um, you know what? Aside from that flub right at the start when his when his name was read out. He was my MVP. He's my hero of this whole pay-per-view <laughs> so far. He just got his ass kicked, and then he dragged himself down to the ring to get beaten. I thought the whole thing was hilarious, and you and I have always sung the praises of Cactus and Abdullah's shtick, and it was definitely in full force here, especially as they're fighting each other later on. <laughs> One thing I do have to add is I don't think there was any concussion amber alerts on the on those uh, shots he was getting in. I actually think that WCW, for once on this show, got their production spot on because it looked like Abdullah was smacking that stick into the into the stage, oh, the platform, yeah. and they were just at the perfect angle, the cameraman, to make it look like he, it's connecting with his head. I, I thought that was really well done. Who knows? Maybe there's he definitely was one or two that hit him. Yeah, there's definitely one or two that hit him, but I've actually got my notes here they were possibly the best kendo shots ever because they looked like they were killing him. But a lot of them, like you said, were hitting the mat. And it's probably Ooh, hollow the... as well, I'd imagine, but yeah. I don't know. I'm guessing it's... it's a... No, I'm pretty sure it's a full kendo stick just with a weird sheath over the top of it. <laughs> because after after he hits him with it, it does look like it's broken like a kendo stick does and sort of with that weird bend in it. But... Yeah, one thing I've I've uh, I've learned from just to, I've never had the pleasure of working on a show with Abdullah Butcher, but from talking to people who have, he is whether you like his craft or not, he is an absolute master of it, and he knows exactly how to manipulate the crowd, manipulate the fans into it, right up to the line. I remember um my my good friend Mike White, who uh, another ex Hammerlock uh, man, a referee. Um, who we will get on this show one day when our schedules permit. And he was over in um, in America for one of the NWA anniversary shows. I think it was the week that Gary Steele won the NWA world title. And there was a match between Abdullah and Ron Garvin. Um, and they said that they're you know, brawling all over the building. And there was a fan, a disabled fan in a wheelchair in, the, in a corner. And basically... Um, Abdullah was kind of like moving, moving over to this fan with, you know, dragging Garvin over there. And apparently like the, the, the room just suddenly went silent because there's this sharp intake of breath of like, Oh my God, what's going to happen. <laughs> and obviously just when they're, you know, inches away from this person, Abdullah gets dragged back by Ronnie Garvin and, it, and they never get, they never quite get, get there but it just showed a the the manipulation of the crowd but also the the way that i think abdul the butcher is one of the last sort of old school gimmicks where people really did believe the gimmick for to a great extent that he really was this crazy madman from the sudan you know yeah because even just when like later when he comes out smiling going for sting he just looks completely crazy. Mm. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, yeah. See, even like knowing the business, I still think of him as a complete mentalist. Yeah. Obviously, I've never met him or anything, but I'm he's, sure he's a nice, nice enough bloke. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah. it, it was yeah it was one of i mean abdul the butcher was always one of my favorite gimmicks and when he turned up in wcw i remember being very excited and obviously we got the sort of the pg version of abdullah but even so it's plenty of fun and i think this show is one of the, the most fun examples and I have to say, he looked really well considering he was electrocuted two months prior. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes definitely. Um, so, uh, but but also with this, you know, I've been talking about the crowd reactions. The crowd are, are, are alive and electric for this because you know, hey. again, he, he, <laughs> know, he knows how to he knows how to work them. So we come up now for match number seven, and here we go. This is a draw because Sting has been drawn with his tag partner of Abdullah the Butcher, and they're against Brian Pillman and Bobby Eaton. Um, and to me, Bischoff really doesn't make enough of the fact that Sting and Abdullah have been drawn together as partners. And I'm going on another football analogy here, but thinking about like how people react when a certain match is randomly drawn in like the FA Cup, for example, you get that initial pop from the people who've picked the cards out. And I think, yeah, they just should be making a lot more of this than they do. Um, I also think Pillman and Eaton would make a hell of a tag team together. Just imagine that for a moment. Um, as you say, Barry, Abdullah looks overjoyed to be tagging with Sting, rushes to the ring to greet him and then attacks him before their opponents can even get to the ring. Um, as for once, there's a gap between people arriving, conveniently enough. Um, Pillman sprints to the ring to save Sting from Abdullah, but then Eaton attacks Pillman, who's his own partner, before refocusing on Sting. All of this is happening on the rampway. No one's yet made it to the ring. Um, Eaton's working over Sting's knee, which Ross reminds us was surgically reconstructed. The match finally gets into the ring. It's mainly Sting v. Eaton, with Abdullah occasionally interjecting himself to attack his own tag team partner um pillman slams abdullah which pops the crowd massively but the camera's focused on yep. sting and eating rolling ringside Abdul. yes and we completely miss it so well done mr producer not the first not the last we're going to get in this one um the end of the match comes when cactus jack enters the ring tries to hit sting with a kendo stick but accidentally hits abdullah instead sting then lands yep Cross-body block off the top rope, the exact same move that won the last match for the pin on Eaton to put the craziest and most wild match of the night to an end. Um, Abdullah and Cactus end up brawling with each other up the side of the ramp, taking out indie wrestler security members at the same time. Um, yeah, wild, entertaining, great fun, and to me, lasted just the right amount of time as well. Yeah, enjoyed this one. Uh Especially the start, where Pillman pretty much sprints, out, sprints down the ramp and jumps over the ref to take out Abdullah. Yes. But then, this is a bit I was talking about, the receipt. He grabs the kendo stick the wrong way round and whacks him in the head with the handle. <laughs> with a big skull on the end. I didn't big, even big notice skull. that. And so yeah, who, no, yeah. who hits, who hits uh, him? Pillman. Pillman Hit. grabbed, the, grabbed the stick off him. He's holding it by the top end, so the handle and the big skull, which is at the bottom of the handle, is that smacks it on the rampway and then whacks Abdullah in the head with it, realises, quickly turns it around, and then whacks him in the head two or three more times. <laughs> but the first one is handle square in the face. I saw he went full pelt with it. I kind of like, I didn't even realise that the handle was involved. I didn't see that. Before. Yeah. 
But yeah, I, I, and you mentioned it just now, Dean. I absolutely love that where, when Abdullah's come out with like this genuinely innocent, happy smile. Oh yeah, I get to team with Sting. Pow! Hits him with a stick. I, that, that was a spit take for me. I just thought that was brilliant. He's he's the MVP of this thing so far, and it makes you think. Yeah. <laughs> if they had left Abdullah the Butcher in charge of the entire fucking battle bowl, <laughs> it probably would have been the new Royal Rumble, the new big hot concept, and it'd still be going to this day. Obviously, you know, WWE would have taken it over because WWE would have fucked everything else up and still gone out of business. Ah, uh, but WWE wouldn't have taken it on because it wasn't invented by Vince McMahon. They would have. It, it would have got its debut like three years ago, like War Games, when they run out of every other idea because they've absolutely knackered them out. <laughs> Quite possibly. Quite possibly. Right, number eight. Match number eight. Here we go. We're oh, no, no, no. Some... Back up, back up. Sorry. <laughs> back up. First of all, uh, Cactus doesn't hit Abdullah with the kendo stick. He hits him with the broken handle of the broom that he broke over Buddy Lee Parker earlier, which I thought was a nice thing. He obviously just grabbed a weapon from backstage. But there's a great bit where uh, Abdullah and Cactus are brawling out through all the uh, T-shirt security, as uh, I think uh, Shivani calls them, uh, including uh, Rick Rogers, who stands out like a sore thumb, and uh, my mate, uh, Doug Dillinger. Ah, uh, good old Doug Dillinger. Doug Dillinger. I'll tell you a story about Doug Dillinger. Uh, uh, the fo- uh, I can't remember if it was the house show or the Nitro at the London Arena. And also, fuck you, that house show at the London Arena was awesome. I know you say it's the worst show you've ever been to, but that was an awesome show. Who is that, Liam or me? That says this. The I'm pretty. I'm. I'm pretty sure you did. Yeah, I, I, I've only been the only one I've been to was the Nitro taping at London Arena. Yeah, there, I there didn't was. Go to anything in in March. Right. Yeah, there was. I remember now. There was. Yeah, it's the one with like. I, I think all the wrestlers that were on the ticket weren't on the show or something. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah, it had some great matches. It had uh, Terry Funk v Dustin Rhodes. Yeah, where a chicken where, was involved. Yeah, after the match, Terry Funk throws a raw chicken from the ring and hits Dustin at the top of the ramp, which was awesome. Uh, well, Bret Hart came out and done a big promo post-concussion, it must have been. Yep. Yes. Yep, and got a huge Owen chant randomly. Uh, Charles Robinson got knocked the fuck out by Vampiro. Uh, in the most legit ref bump I've ever seen. And the main event, uh, well, not only did it involve uh, Henning v. Flair, which was awesome, but uh, Lex Luger's music played a full three times until he came out. Yes, and didn't <laughs> Hen- didn't Henning wrestle win like, a football shirt or something? No, he was definitely bare-chested because he bled a lot. He got chopped the shit out of him. And his chest was bleeding a lot. I remember that much. I do remember someone's gear didn't arrive. And um, I'm, I'm just... It was Henning then. Yeah. I'm sure his, maybe his shirt got ripped off. Because I remember... I he was bleeding a lot. <laughs> yeah, because I, I remember in the... Um, 
I remember in in the the Birmingham show, apparently someone said he wrestled in an Aston Villa top. <laughs> Cheap pop, isn't it? Cheap pop. Well, no, yeah. it, I can tell you, it was that house show with Doug Dillinger because uh, outside they were giving away a load of free ECW stuff, right? And including ECW foam fingers. And before the show. We're sitting in the crowd, it's like, oh, look, there's Doug Dillinger down there signing stuff. Oh, I'll go down and get his autograph. I get down there. In front of me is a kid, probably 10-year-old at most, hands Doug Dillinger a ECW foam finger to sign. And Doug Dillinger says to this 10-year-old kid, fuck off, I'm not signing that shit. <laughs> so I've liked Doug Dillinger ever since then. Mom. But yes, uh... Anyway, the main part of the story, so they're brawling past uh, all the security who keep jumping on their back. And yeah. then at the end, just in front of the ramp, there's two guys in suits that just stand there and watch them and do nothing. Cactus sees it and goes over and just grabs one of them by the face. Yeah, I'm just watching this now and I've just seen it. And the guy yeah. just falls to his, falls <laughs> on his ass and then gets straight back up again. And I also just saw, um, yeah, just saw Pillman um, hitting Abdullah with the wrong bit of the, um, yeah. the wrong bit of the, uh, the the cane there, yeah. And also at that bit where Abdullah and Cactus brawl off, over in the background, sitting up on a little platform, is um, Gordon Soley and uh, Lance Russell doing commentary for something, <laughs> but just a little thing. I found Oh, out. yes, I can see them now. Yeah, Must so I don't know if that was for the hotline or something. Radio or the hotline or something, yeah. yeah. The hotline where you could save money on the pay-per-view by phoning up the wrestling hotline commentary at however many dollars a minute it was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Marvellous. Right, okay, yeah. on to match number eight we go, and it's Rick Steiner and the Night Stalker versus Big Van Vader and Mr. Hughes. Uh, this is another infamous match. Um it's announced that due to the Diamond Stud's injury, his arm's in a sling, um, his place will be taken by the Night Stalker, who is a former Hammerlock Wrestling visitor, Brian Clark, best known as Adam Bomb in the WWF uh, in the mid-90s, and also one part, half of Chronic um, later on in WCW. Um, he had only been wrestling for two years at this point. Um, I did also wonder, surely shouldn't someone called the Night Stalker be wearing all black rather than all white? <laughs> um, this is another time that we hear Missy Hyatt's microphone coming through over the broadcast. Um, so we start with Steiner and Vader exchanging typically stiff offense, and they do appear to be enjoying it. Um, Steiner gets a big pop to get for getting a belly-to-belly suplex on Vader. Um, Mr. Hughes is wrestling in sunglasses, uh, shirts, trousers, braces, and Cuban heel Chelsea boots, which is an achievement all in itself. Um, he's also remarkably nimble for a man of his size. He can sprint across that ring when he wants to. Um, the Night Stalker only gets tagged in for the very end of this brief five-minute match, and it, it is a complete mess. Um, he doesn't seem to realize that Hughes has tagged in Vader. He gets walloped with an almighty clothesline from Vader, 
who then splashes the Night Stalker, but Night Stalker seems to be trying to get up, so he kind of gets the full weight of Vader landing sideways on his head. Um, at the same time, Steiner executes a top-rope bulldog on Hughes and makes the cover at the same time, so he thinks he's won, but Vader and the Night Stalker were the legal men, so Vader and Hughes go through to Battle Bowl. Yeah, pretty much that. <laughs> uh, yeah, the belly to belly on Vader was awesome. The suplex back into the ring, not quite as much, but he muscled him over. Yes, that was a bit of a mess. My favourite bit was the bit on the outside. So uh, just after the belly to belly, I think Vader rolls out. Oh no, he probably gets clotheslined out because that happens a lot. Yes. Uh, and then uh, Sina goes out after him, gives him a few shots. Vader comes back, clotheslines him in the face, and Rick Steiner just looks at him and laughs. Yes. <laughs> Which is uh, mental, basically. Uh, this match, more than any, I noticed and laughed at uh, JR to bring up everyone's college football careers. Yeah, I love <laughs> the fact that he, you know, the Night Stalker has a college football career. It's like, yeah. come on, mate, all about kayfabe. <laughs> Uh, oh and so Mr. Hughes every time he bumped just suddenly spreads his arm out and sort of starfish on the floor and just sort of and usually does sort of the Devon not the full Devon shaky leg but just sort of convulses slightly (laughs) I hadn't spotted that yeah but he literally every time he bumps legs spread arms wide out to the side and just lays there and then convulses a little. I see. Uh, and then I did like the fact that after uh, Night Stalker tagged himself in, gets the top rope and hits his flying clothesline, which used to be his finisher, one of his finishers for Adam Bomb. Mm. So still always doing that. And then, yeah, that splash on the shoulders is not nice. <laughs> not but nice. But you did notice before that... Uh, he gets close. Uh, Vader comes in and like blindsides him with the clothesline just as the bulldog's happening, and then Night Stalker just gets up again. So you have to clothesline him again, and then he's obviously trying to get up again before he gets literally killed. I see. I'm trying. I'm trying to remember who. Um, um, is it Apollo Cruz? There's someone who Mr. Hughes, someone well known who Mr. Hughes trained. Oh, yeah. yes, it was. Apparently he's yes. a brilliant, yeah. I've heard yeah. he's training a lot of people recently, yeah. Um, uh-huh. um Apollo Cruz, yeah. He he was trained by Mr. Hughes, yeah. And he had, I remember I've, I've worked with him quite a lot, and he, yeah, he um, he speaks very highly of him as a trainer, yeah, as you say, yeah. I've heard, hasn't he also got narcolepsy? What, Mr. Hughes, yeah, I'm maybe, sure that was a thing. Maybe that's why he wore the sunglasses, yeah, possibly, yeah. What alarmed me about this match was how much commentary was really trying to put over Hughes and Vader as like the next threat to the tag titles, <laughs> considering that they, uh, they they rejigged things and six months later things were looking a lot better for Vader. But at one point he was going to be um, Hughes' partner in a serious tag title quest. Okay, penultimate match. Number nine, Scott Steiner and Firebreaker Chip v. Johnny B. Bad and the Man. <sighs> okay, and then the last match. Yes, by the, 
<laughs> and and I think yes, by this stage the random tag matches are really becoming quite boring. Yeah, but these we... last two were cut out on the VHS. Yeah, so there's a reason for that. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, we have an all babyface match here, or tremendous athletes, as Shivani calls them. Um, another totally silent crowd, even though Bad is now a charismatic crowd favorite, having recently turned face. Um, there's one great little moment where Arachnaman scuttles back to his corner backwards on all fours, much like a spider to make a tag to Bad. Um, Steiner's hitting all his trademark moves on Bad, and I've got to say that upside-down gut-first run into the turnbuckles never looks like it's a nice move to take. Yeah. Um, Steiner dominates when he's in but it's back and forth when Chip's in there the match seems to drag on forever until Steiner gets tagged in again he goes for the Frankensteiner which as um, as Ross says it's what the crowd wants to see so of course they don't give it to them yep. <laughs> um, a man blocks it climbs to the top rope and I've noticed he even exits the ring like a spider. It's fantastic. I bloody love Brad Armstrong, one of the most <laughs> underrated wrestlers of all time. Um, but Steiner catches him, lands a snappy belly-to-belly suplex and gets the three count. Um, it was all right, but did, did you think it kind of just went on far too long considering we're on match number nine? Yeah, pretty much. What I did like, though, is obviously Johnny Bad only just turned face. But he managed to slip back into a bit of a heel roll here just to keep a bit of heat on. Mm. So that's the one that's about the one thing I noted from this match. And and I can't imagine how on earth a Ratnaman got uh, WCW into a legal cease and desist from Marvel <laughs> Comics. No, it's amazing that. But he, he was yellow and blue or yellow and purple. It was completely different colours and completely different. Yeah. yeah. Unlike in um, on the old on there's a an old world of sport match somewhere and I don't know who it was in the costume but there was literally a wrestler they called Spider Man in a proper <laughs> Spider Man costume and this got on ITV and they somehow got away with it back was in the eighties. Spud or Ross Jordan? <laughs> no, this was the eighties. I think it oh. might have been a chap called Ray Crawley who was under the mask of lots of different things, but um, yeah. Uh, anything to uh, add to this one, Liam, apart from can we just get on with this fucking gimmick? Well, you stole my joke about them getting sued by Marvel, so we might as well. But apart <laughs> oh, from I'm that, sorry. I might as well just point it. This was essentially just a vehicle for Scott Steiner to look good. And they couldn't even particularly achieve that as good as they could and should have, really. Yeah. This was a vehicle for Scott Steiner to stand on the apron for about five minutes doing nothing but shout, Come on, Chip! Come on, Chip! Oh yeah, he, come on, the, Chip. The two of them looked really buddy-buddy, considering that how much um, we know later Scott Steiner would have absolutely just punched Firebreaker <laughs> Chip in the face for looking at him. Yeah, it's weird to see them being all hugs and buddy-buddy. That was just definitely not the not the Scott Steiner we've come to know in the two, 20 years since. No. Uh, yeah, it was. I suppose it was also the big pay-per-view main stage because he's just come back from his injury. This is the uh, the start of him just looking hideously inflated due to <clears throat> uh, expanded yeah, weight. Yeah, expanded yeah. weight system in the in the gym. Yeah, but um, what's interesting as well is that um, for these last two matches, my other half came in the room was watching watching it with me, and when I mentioned to her that that guy is Big Popper Pump. She she could she not believe out. it. 
Yes. She's she like, why am I with it. this man watching matches like this with a fake fucking Spider-Man and this inflated shouty guy and all of this garbage going on as she moved out? Is is because it was Sunday afternoon. It was either that or live Premier League football, and this one. Um, My match... wife didn't come in till the Battle Bowl, so that's oh. the whole conversation in itself. I see. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so our final tag match is Ron Simmons and Thomas Rich, who. Uh, as my other half said, oh, he's lived a life, hasn't he? <laughs> and I said, how old do you think Thomas Rich was at this point in time? She goes, oh, 45? No, 35. He was 35. Then again, isn't Michael Hayes the same age as someone else who like looks 20 years younger than him? Ah, uh, the 80s. I'm sure <laughs> it might be. I'm, I'll, I'll have to check this. I'm sure my, someone like Shawn Michaels... I'm sure that Michael Hayes and Shawn Michaels were the same age and you wouldn't ever think it looking at them, but well, I'll have to look that one up um, another well, maybe time. maybe now. Because yeah, Michael, maybe now. Michaels but... looks very old now. Uh, yeah, there was no, a time where he... no, it's not. It's not Michaels. He's a lot. He's a lot younger than Hayes. But I'll, I'll find that one out anyway. Um, so it's against um, against Steve Armstrong and PN News, the rap master. Um, and PN News looks somewhat surprised to be called up, even though he's literally the last person left in the draw. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, so, yeah, Rich is part of the York Foundation. Armstrong's the other half of the Young Pistols with Tracy Smothers, who we saw in the first match. Um, I personally would have teamed Steve Armstrong up with Arachnaman just for shits and giggles, but hey. Um, the only person in this match the fans care about is Simmons, and they chant, we want Ron whenever Rich and News are in there, which tells you how over the rap master gimmick was. Um, Simmons and Rich seem to be working fine together as a team. There's a little dissension between News and Armstrong. The match, uh, well, the match drags, really. The crowd are willing it to be over so we can get on with the battle bowl portion of the show. Um, the end comes when Simmons gets tagged back in, slams news, turns his attention to Armstrong, hits a big spine buster and gets the win for his team. This still took 12 minutes though. <laughs> Barry. <sighs> there was a very nice hill hill bit in the middle that I liked where uh, Rich pulls off his tape and starts choking uh, Armstrong with it. And then Armstrong gets back on top takes the rest of the tape off and then starts choking Rich with it. Nice. And that's about the only thing I liked in this match. <laughs> uh, oh, except for that chin breaker. Uh, Armstrong has Rich in like a, like a surfboard, like a little, not the proper Romero special one that Liger did earlier, but sort of just the pulling the arms back one. Rich gets up and gives him a chin breaker and Armstrong just both feet off the floor and just takes it full on the chin. Nice. Looks nasty. Uh, but yeah, and even Simmons disappointed me. The power slam wasn't great. The spine buster was a bit dodgy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it was just, just completely burnt out at this point. Yeah. Liam? Uh, yeah, this match happened. Let's fuck off to the main event, <laughs> shall we? Yeah, you, you're right, though. I mean, at this stage, this is really where it felt like I was like, you know, you know and, and, and especially at the end of this podcast, I'll sum up a few things about overall. But 
I wanted to like the concept, but this this match really summed up why am I still watching this? Oh yes, because some bastard made us. Thanks, mate. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, to be fair, I tried to make you like nearly two years ago, and it's taken this long. Yeah, that's because of my shit memory. I do apologise. <laughs> and also because um, he knew what was happening, and he, yeah. he just thought he'd try and prolong the actual moment that we had to do yeah. this. Yeah, Barry did re- remind me that we talked about this 20 months ago when we went out for a pub lunch one Sunday afternoon. But, um, yeah, sorry about that. And two or three times since that as well. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I'm shit, I, I admit. <laughs> um, so, our battle ball entrants are Bagwell, Garvin, Austin Rude, Rhodes Morton, Kazmaier, Liger, Luger, Anderson, Steamboat, Champion, Sting, Abdullah, Vader, Hughes, Scott Steiner, Firebreaker, Chip, Simmons, and Tommy or Thomas Rich. We're told, so this this is where it kind of gets confusing. We're told that the last man left in ring one will then face the last man left in ring two. It's not explained if the winners decided by pinfall and submission or over the top rope elimination. I'm presuming it's the latter. Um, so all the rest has entered the ring. The cameraman trips over on the ramp as Steamboat's walking past and Steamboat, being the nice bloke that he is, looks back with a concerned expression on his face. Um, as the match begins... But then all... Hughes walks past and is pretty much corpsing, looking at the cameraman. <laughs> um, as the match begins, all 20 men are in one ring, so it becomes apparent to me that you have to throw people from ring one into ring two, which means all the eliminations have got to happen on one side of the ropes. Yep. There's literally no need for the expense and hassle of a second ring, but that's WCW for you. Um, I also wonder what happens if you get thrown into ring two, but then once you're in ring two, you get thrown back into ring one again. Can you claim you're never eliminated and try and sneak in that way? Um, it's just very messy so as you often get with battle rules not an awful lot's happening people are getting thrown over the top rope but not into the second ring so that doesn't count um, poor Ricky Steamboat is taking an absolute pacing on the ramp from Arn Anderson and then from Big Van Vader three First, separate times he's out on the ramp yes takes <laughs> a slam twice as well yeah I don't know what he's done to deserve it um, maybe it was the cameraman telling you know paying yeah. people off <laughs> um, the first man to get thrown to ring two is Thomas Rich um, so that means that he's just standing around for a bit, having a break, waiting for someone else to come in. Um, Shivani explains you just need to get thrown over the top rope that's facing ring two, and you can fall in between the two rings, but that still counts, uh, for fuck's sake. Well, um, mostly because there's about five or six people that try and clear both ropes, and nobody makes it. <laughs> yes. There was one. There was one War Games. I think it was Arn Anderson where he did. Whether it was meant, it was an accident or by design, he got thrown out of one one ring, and sort of landed with he let, fell over the ropes and landed like with his upper body over the over the sec the ropes of the second ring and just snaps right over on his face. It looked fantastic, <laughs> but I don't think it was planned. It looked. Why do I say he looked fantastic? It looked fantastic, but yeah, probably nearly killed him. He'd always um, get his head dunked between the two aprons, yeah. wouldn't he? Yes. <laughs> that he was the even Arn did that spot. in 96 when he's a baby face <laughs> against the NWO and they've still squeezed in that spot. He always got his head dunked between the aprons. Oh, 
trademark. Um, so Bagwell gets put into ring two. He starts brawling with Rich. Now we've got the uh, director, producer, whatever, trying to keep up with two rings worth of action. Dusty really didn't think this thing through, did he? We well, struggled um, with one for most of the pay-per-view. Yes. Um, in ring number two, Liger uses the space that's uh, that's afforded him to execute some impressive Japanese junior heavyweight moves on Morton before they both tumble to the floor and are eliminated from the battle bowl. Except, so we... except they were never eliminated from ring number one because they both went through the ropes. Did they? Liger gets thrown through and Morton just follows after him through the middle rope. Didn't, ah. they, didn't they say that like, you just have to chuck them into the second ring? No, you have to be over. They do really? say you have to go over the top rope. I thought that ring. was to compensate for the ridiculous one side of the ring, which means, hey, just spend the rest of your time. You know, I would just cling to the corner on the other side of it. But I which is that what Vader does. It. Yeah, but yeah, apparently not. No. There's another couple that just walk around. I think it's uh, Rhodes and someone else as well. Or it might have been uh, Steamboat that just brawling on the outside and just get in the second ring instead of back in the first ring. So there's there's at least four people that were never eliminated. Bloody hell. Such a horrific concept. <laughs> well, we yes, because we now have people who are being eliminated from ring one into ring two, and we're having people who are being eliminated from Battle Bowl entirely as they've been thrown out of ring two. So poor Gary Michael Capetta is having to announce who's who's gone where and what status they're at throughout the, the, the show or throughout the match. Um the commentators are getting confused by it as well. We get a, the director completely missing Dustin Rhodes getting thrown into ring two. The last pe two people left in ring one are Luger and Vader, who are both heels. Luger clotheslines Vader over the top and is the winner of ring number one. So he now gets some time for rest and recovery while he watches the action in ring two. Um, as you often get in these battle royals, there's a sudden rush of activity as Simmons, Hughes, Vader, Rhodes, Steiner, Bagwell and Anderson are all eliminated in quick succession. Let me ask you, Barry, as a veteran of many Hammerlock and other promotion rumbles, it, why does that happen where you just get loads of people all going at once? Is it like you're waiting for the first person, that first person's a bit eliminated as the cue for the next person and, and it just goes stacks up like that? Yeah, a lot of the times. I mean, a lot of... Uh... In Hammerlock, it seemed to be a lot of the time they went, oh, yeah, we'll wait until, like, doing a Royal Rumble-type gimmick where with the staggered entrances. And it was always, oh, yeah, wait until everyone's in the ring until the first elimination. And then it's like, fine, now everyone get out. Oh, and we know you are the last four, so everyone else buggers off and just leave them. But it's, yeah, it's just one of those things. It's just like, oh... Battle Royals are just an excuse to get injured anyway. <sighs> but yeah, this was this was fun. Lots of arms and legs flying around, basically. Yeah, exactly. Especially yes. when you get people that want to start doing suplexes and stuff. Oh, yes. Um, so our final four in ring number two are Sting, Austin, Rude, and Steamboat. Um, and we now also, just to add to the production nightmare that is this show, we have three camera views all in the one screen. The hard cam and two ringside cameras, which now are mostly showing the same thing that's on the hard cam. So therefore, it's completely pointless. The thing um, with this, the, the split screen happened just before, like about a couple of minutes before that. 
Yeah. And it came up once. And then it came up when there was only four people left. So it's completely pointless. Completely. It's almost like someone had forgotten to press the button. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. We've got this gimmick. Quick. Yeah. Quick, do it. Oh, it's too late. Never mind. So um, Austin and Steamboat are fighting near the ropes. Rudes runs in to attack Steamboat, but he ends up accidentally clotheslining his Dangerous Alliance colleague, uh, Austin, over the top rope. Steamboat skins the cat and head scissors Rude over the top rope. He tries to skin the cat again, but Rude yanks him down and eliminates him. Uh, they then brawl at ringside, and this sets off the excellent feud that they had for the large part of, of 1992. This leaves Sting as the ring winner of Ring 2, but before he can do anything else, Rude sneaks back in the ring and gives him a rude awakening neckbreaker. Sting then has to make his way into Ring 2. Luger's taking his time, being very smug and casual about the situation he finds himself in. Harley Race takes his uh, contractually obligated bump, getting slammed onto the apron, onto the ramp rather, by Sting. Back in the ring, Sting has a second wind. He takes over on Luger. Race gets in the ring for no apparent reason to take another bump. Luger throws Sting over the top, but Sting clings onto the ropes. Luger thinks he's won it and turns his back. Sting returns to the ring, hits a few offensive moves, then clotheslines Luger over the top, sort of. Um, Luger doesn't get his feet up and over, and Sting has to cover this by bouncing off the ropes and shouldering his boots over. And if that's not a fitting way to end this entire <laughs> clusterfuck of a show, then I don't know what is. Uh, we get a couple of fireworks, and Sting then just fucks off, basically. That's it. No celebration, no presentation, no stipulation. Ross just says the fans will demand that Luger defends his world title against Sting somewhere down the line. Um, and he even ends by saying that the guys in the truck did a great job. No, they didn't, Jim. <laughs> and and that brings Battle Bowl to, to an end. Thank God. Hang on a second. <laughs> you just say that Harley Race got in the ring for no apparent reason. The okay. bump was the reason. He got <laughs> in the ring for the express purpose of inflicting damage upon himself. We've been over this on many episodes. You don't say for no reason. You say he's got in the ring to to get to abused. Take his bump. To get yeah. abused. Yeah, he loves it. Oh dear. <laughs> So I suppose the, the thing with this, with Sting, Sting winning to set him up as the top babyface, because basically Luger would be be off out of the scene for a good well for a good few months and pretty much until 1995 at this point, because in typical WCW fashion they'd already allowed him to um, to wrestle his stipula contractually stipulated number of dates. So he basically took two months off and then came, he came back at Super Bowl two. There's that show again, looking massive because he was about to go into the world bodybuilding federation just to drop the belt to sting. We have a crossbody off the top rope. Spoilers. But uh, uh, it's yeah, this is, this is prime because WCW, isn't it? <laughs> Well, if you think about it, we our last pay-per-view episode with Hattrick Hero Benson himself was another Starcade with what on the surface was a very interesting concept and Bischoff has you know, he, he established himself in his time frame. He wanted to find new cutting-edge concepts, but I think we can safely say that the majority of them, he didn't know how to implement them. Uh... 
obviously weren't quite so higher up at this stage, but nothing, nothing about some of these ideas came off the way they could and should. And I'll say the same thing about this one that I think I mentioned about the World Cup of Wrestling. You have got right here, you, you know, considering the expansion not too long after this to more pay-per-views. And before too long, we'd have one a month, 12 pay-per-views. They're looking for ideas, looking for concepts. And, you know, Battle Bowl and World Cup of Wrestling are two great ideas for one on paper. But when you do them this bad and you consider how all over the shop the World Cup was with, you know, people wrestling twice, the potential for wrestling three times, so all of the confusion, the lack of uh, adequate build. Uh, they took two ideas, really, that should have been so much better, but they weren't. Because there, there was plenty about this show that I liked, but it just got outweighed by the dredge and, the, as you said, the poor production and the... The, the overall confusion, it just took any anything nice about it, any little details the wrestlers try to bring to it, the, the, the way they try to construct the matches differently to one another, and everything just was just not worth it in the end. And it killed the idea dead, because when you have it this bad the first time, first impressions matter everything. Uh, and you just you just can't resuscitate it because this would be per you know if they had a a pay per view before not fucking Starcade their their annual showcase their big WrestleMania level event you you have a, a November pay per view or something and you're setting up like the big marquee match Sting Luger this is this is a great idea for a for a B pay per view yeah. well the thing the thing is that they actually brought um, the Lethal Lottery in Battle Bowl back for Starcade 92 although mm. they only had it as um f um a 10 or was it five ma four matches so uh, an eight man tournament and the the battle bowl was in the one ring not the two but much like the world cup they also had other things going on so you had I'm just looking at this now you had the great mutar challenging for the NWA world title but also wrestling in the Lethal Lottery tag match, whereas the champion hadn't. You had Steve Dr. Death Williams challenging for the World Heavyweight title, who was also in Battle Bowl when the champion wasn't. You had Sting and Vader in the Lethal Lottery, but also wrestling each other for the tournament final of the King of Cable. Um, Barry Windham and Brian Pillman challenging for the world tag titles, but also being in the lethal lottery when the champions weren't. I mean, it was an absolute mess. And then they, they brought battle bowl as a separate pay-per-view in 93. And they, and they, yeah, which is, as you say, when they needed those extra pay-per-views and then they brought it back for slambery 96, which with was the, the ring. most. Yeah. They with used the ring. But um, yeah, as I said though, the, the thing is, is that they they got off to such a bad start, the concept was dead in the water. So by the time they did have Battle Bowl in '93, which was obviously a, 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 a horrific year for WCW in a lot of other ways, especially commercially, uh, it's, it's just gone. But I still maintain that this this could be done by someone remotely competent with with a good grasp of their production department. But definitely not with the two rings. I'm going. It, it makes sense that they got rid of the two rings. They really abused this use of two rings and anything other than war games in two rings. It just takes the gleam away from war games, really. Yeah, and it's a 
fucking hassle putting up a wrestling ring, so you don't have to do it twice. It's worth remembering, yeah. they did it at Bash 89, didn't they? Regards mm. one of the best pay-per-views ever. It started off not just with a with a two-ring battle war with all the confusion, but they actually completely russoed the finish of it. Oh, the skyscrapers. Skyscrapers just decided not to fight each other and they'd split the purse instead. Yeah. That is a Russo finish. <laughs> Ten years before Russo finishes became the plague of professional wrestling. Awesome. Right, now, before we let you go, Barry, we uh, always ask our guests for um, to choose a, a WCW theme tune that uh, wherever they, they want to go for. So, uh, Liam, you have the tune queued up, I believe. And well, I hope uh, so. If not, we're in some stuck, aren't we? <laughs> and if you could press play in three, two, one... It's a classic. I did. Uh, I said to you before. Was this for some reason? Was that not allowed? Was that pre WCW? Was that an outside of WCW thing? Because I could not understand why no one's chosen it. No. Why has no one ever picked this tune? This is a. This is a classic. This is one of the best entrance musics of all time. People can pick what they like, and it's worth noting that like, we, we never say to people, pick what you think is the best of the world. Pick a dose of you like. Do you remember we had Finn Martin, editor of Power Slam magazine, uh, just over a year ago. He picked uh, that Family Man theme tune for Ricky oh, Steamboat off the Slam Jam album. I'm not actually sure how many times he actually came out to the ring with it. It definitely weren't a lot, because he went back to that more him-sounding theme tune sometime in 93 at worst it, it might even be a jake the snake roberts case where jake never actually used his uh, slam jam theme but he wanted that because he i remember in the personal he always made the point of saying that theme tune was the worst theme tune ever so it's kind of on point for him character wise people have personal preferences with things and you know if you want to be the one to to fire up old bad street usa great this is this is your tune this is your choice uh, and it is a total banger i love it too absolutely fantastic yes well thank you very much for picking that as your uh, as your tune yeah what, um, what, a, what a great choice yeah now yeah, i've got well, the urge to slam a cage door in someone's head <laughs> <laughs> oh of course they're the first people to do that before every fucker did it yes 
Right. Before, uh, just before we go, you, uh, any uh, any social media or website plugs that you would like to tell our our listeners? Uh, well, I've got something maybe coming up, which I spoke to you two about the other day, but that hasn't quite kicked off yet. So, uh, not really. Was <laughs> it Voodoo Wrestler on most stuff? Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I think YouTube, but I don't think the link works for YouTube. But yeah, that's one. That's like I say, that's the main gimmick I'm doing these days, and well, it's the only gimmick I'm doing at the moment. So yeah, Voodoo Wrestler on all the social medias. Awesome. Thank you ever so much, Barry, for coming on and uh, joining us for Starcade '91. Some some great insights, some great notes, some things sorry. that I. There's some things in there that I completely missed because I was busy typing my notes whilst the things were going on. So, yeah, two pairs of eyes better than one. Um, but, you know, it's been, it's been fun. It's been one of the most WCW, because WCW pay-per-views we've, had, we've done in a long time. None of it made sense. And that's exactly what we love on this show. <laughs> so that brings this podcast to a conclusion. Thank you ever so much for downloading us. Uh, wherever you may get your podcasts from please do subscribe to us rate and review us and keep spreading the word we'll be back very soon with another watch along and we've got some more pay-per-view reviews lined up you can follow us on twitter at because wcw or facebook.com forward slash because wcw websites because wcw.podbean.com so on behalf of my co-host liam hat this is the twisted genius dna saying thanks for joining us and we'll see you ringside.